0: What's that? Perfect. That helps. I was going to say, I cannot hear myself. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to Living Hope Church. Uh, Thanks for being here. Uh, If you're going out to Children's Church, they can dismiss with Miss Melody. Activities are on the back table. All right. So today we are once again uh, looking at a standalone narrative from the Bible. And today we are going to be back in the book of Acts, which we've been in uh, quite a few times over the last couple of months. Uh, And today we are going to join Paul in his second missionary journey. So in Acts chapter 17 on the missionary journey, he goes and he visits Athens, which is a a famous story uh, in the Bible of how he reaches Athens with the gospel. And then in Acts chapter 18, where we're going to be today, Paul heads off to the city of Corinth. And I love the city of Corinth because it's a city we can relate to. It's a city we can wrap our mind around. And within that, we see that God is still moving in the city of Corinth. He is still saving and he is still building his church. When I travel around and, and I preach at national or regional, or I, I don't preach, or I, I meet people, or I go to things at national, regional, or state meetings, one of the favorite subjects that people love to preach on is the depravity of the world and the depravity of our nation and the depravity of our culture. And within that, they often paint this picture of hopelessness, uh, a picture that makes us long for the 1960s, and the solution often seems to just be, be to bemoan our culture and to re- retreat from it. And while, and while our culture is moving away from God, like many are in his ways, this isn't new to God. This isn't a surprise to God. And God still desires to use you and I for his purposes. In fact, when we read the Bible, it's often in the darkest times in the darkest cultures that God shines the brightest. Because he and his ways are so different. And so when we arrive with Paul in Corinth, we arrive in a culture that is depraved. A culture that is walking in darkness. A culture that is without hope. I mean, Corinth was the Vegas of the Roman world. It was a port city and a major city, uh, center for commerce. The city was home to the temple of Aphrodite, the, the goddess of love. The temple sat on this hill that overlooked the city, and every night these thousand-plus goddesses would descend into, descend from the temple into the city, and they would fulfill their trade. Corinth was so depraved that even the Romans looked down upon the Corinthians for their sexual immorality. The Greek word Corinthians is Corinthian estai literally meant to live like a Corinthian. And it was used as a derogatory uh, degrag- term throughout the culture to describe anyone who lived in a moral lifestyle. So Corinth is Vegas, but worse. And yet it's this important city because of its location. It's a larger city. The scholars estimate there's 200,000 people in this city at the time that Paul arrives there. And so it's significance in its location and its port and its influence. And again, oftentimes when we look over our culture, we get discouraged because of the sin we see. And sin should grieve us, but sinful society is not a new thing. People without Jesus are going to live for today. They're going to live for pleasure and they're going to live in sin. But the good news we see in the city of Corinth is that God is still sovereign over the city. There are still people in the city that love and serve Jesus. He has people in the city that he desires and is going to save. And he plants a church in this city. And God builds his church there and it begins to impact Corinth. So Corinth made Vegas look tame, but yet God still moved. And in the same way, I want to remind you that God is capable and he desires still to move in our country, in our cities, and in our community of Green River and across our state. So don't let the things you hear on the news, on Twitter or, or X now I guess it's called, or social media discourage you. And don't let those things lead you to discount God and his plans for you and his church. All right, just because the world may seem like it's going to hell in a handbasket, that does not mean that God is done or that his plans have been thwarted. But it's difficult, and we're going to see that in this passage. We're going to see that even Paul, this superhero of faith, becomes overwhelmed and discouraged. But God's going to remind him of his love, of his faithfulness, and his promises. So we're in Acts chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. It reads, After this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads, for I am innocent of it. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the faithfulness of Paul and the example we see here. We thank you for the the faithfulness of Priscilla and Aquila and these people who lived their lives sold out for you and their example. And So God, I pray that as we walk through this story, Lord, that we would be reminded of uh, your calling on our lives. God, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness and your promises. And God, that we would be reminded that that no matter what the community or the city or the world may look like, God, that your plans are not thwarted and they go forward, Lord, and you still desire to save people and and to change lives and to start churches that, that impact the community. So God, I pray that we would just see your goodness and your faithfulness in this passage today. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, one of the themes you see in the book of Acts is that God uses everyday people going about their life to make him known and spread the hope of the gospel. And that's, once again, a major theme in Corinth and kind of what we begin with. When we read the book of Acts, we look at Paul and we think, man, Paul is this, this amazing person. He's this superhero. And we think, we can't be a Paul. But, but my hope from this passage and the hope I see, that we see in the book of Acts is that maybe we will read this and think, man, I could be an Aquila or I could be a Priscilla. And so I just want to take some time looking at their lives. And what I want us to see is that it's our first point, and that is that Aquila and Priscilla trust all of their lives to God. We see that first in the fact that as we meet Priscilla and Aquila, they have just been kicked out of their country for religious persecution. Right? This church planting movement in Corinth, it begins with two refugees that don't hide out and sulk, but instead give their lives to the mission of God. I can't even imagine what that would be like to be kicked out of a city because of your faith. Right. We read it just in the book, but their life is in total upheaval. But what we see is that God is going to use their upheaval for his glory and for their good. And again, that's one of those things that is really easy to read in the Bible, like God uses all things for good and for his glory. And it's an easy thing to say on a Sunday morning, but it is really hard to believe that when those hard things hit our own lives. But we see that Aquila and Priscilla trust God with their lives and they trust him even in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of persecution. Right? We face this, the loss of a job, the, the loss of a promised promotion, the loss of a dream, disappointment in a relationship, the loss of something you would look forward to. And in those moments, we all find ourselves in the position of Aquila and Priscilla. And it's in those times that you have to decide, am I going to trust God in my disappointment and in my heartache and my heartbreak or am I going to abandon God? And figure it out on my own. All right, again, even right now, we we see this in the life of our church. There are some of you that are uncertain and disappointed as we look forward. Right? We talked about the countdowns on our last Sunday is September 24th. Right? And I know there are some of you that are celebrating this news, but there's some of you that are disappointed. Right? And this here is just a reminder that God can be trusted with our disappointment. He can be trusted with our future, with our uncertainty, and we can trust that he will use it for good in his glory. Now, I know I don't love uncertainty, but I, I I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this church and in the future. I, I truly do believe in the Marlowe's, and I believe that God will give them his vision for the church. I believe he will lead you forward for his glory. And so the encouragement here is that in uncertainty, in disappointment, trust God and trust his plans and his purposes, right? God is able and he is good. But the reality is disappointment and uncertainty, they come to us in life, don't they? Not just in our church, but they come to our personal lives. Sometimes those things are self-inflicted, and sometimes it's just life happens. I know there are people out there in our society that preach that if you follow God, everything's just going to be great and, and grand. But that's not reality, I'm not sure where they get that from. They, they haven't read the life of Paul or Jesus or the disciples or Aquila and Priscilla. right? We face hard times. We face disappointment. We face heartache. Right? In John 16, 33, Jesus, he promises us this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He tells us that in this world we are going to have trouble. He says, take heart, follow me, trust me, because I have overcome the world. So Jesus says we will face trouble, but when we do, we can trust that we have Jesus and that he has overcome the world and he is worthy of our faith. So when we face disappointment, when you face disappointment, heartache and stress, where do you turn? Do you turn to God? Will you trust to God or do you trust in your own plans, and your own power? We're going to talk about this again in just a moment when we see our hero of the, f- of the faith, Paul, face doubt. And we're going to see how he responds. But where do we turn when life is hard? And we see in Priscilla and Aquila, they trust God with their life. They've been kicked out of the city of Rome and they trust God with their future in the city of Corinth. And because they do, God is going to tr- use them to start the first church in Corinth and to start churches all over the Roman world. So let's look at a few other ways that Priscilla and Aquila give God their lives and are used for His glory. First, they they gave God and made God the center of their marriage. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and every time they're mentioned, it is together. Every commentary I read this week, it noted the significance of that and the implications of how strong their marriage must have been. It was an example in the church of what a married couple could do for the glory of God when working together. Another interesting note and fascinating note on their names is that in the Bible, uh, the, the fact is that they are listed six times, but four of those times, Priscilla is listed first. It was completely countercultural to list a woman's name first in the first century. And the scholars almost unanimously agree this was done on purpose to emphasize the importance of Priscilla's contributions to the church. And again, we're reminded in this that God uses all people for his glory despite what culture might say about the person. Just a few weeks ago, I think we looked at the, the story of Lydia, but the church was filled with influential women sold out for the gospel that were pivotal in the advancement of God's kingdom. And again, we, we hear this note now, we just kind of nod our heads, and we don't really think much of it, but this is shockingly countercultural in the first century to mention Priscilla's name first. This is a reminder to you that God desires to use you. He desires to use each and every one of you for the advancement of the gospel if you will give him your life. Right? The culture, the world, they don't define you. They may discount you for whatever reason, but God desires to use your life for his glory if you will allow him. He desires to use you just like he did Lydia, Priscilla, and Aquila to make an eternal difference. Another thing we see in the New Testament about Priscilla and Aquila is their hospitality and their open hands with their possessions. Nearly every time, every one of those six times they are mentioned, they are opening up their home or their, their, to house a church or to house and train a missionary. They had a biblical understanding of ownership and possession. Now, in America, we view ownership as what can I collect for my good? What can I collect for my comfort, for my enjoyment, for my investment, maybe for my family? But that is not a biblical understanding of ownership. right? We like to gather and hold on to and protect our stuff and protect our stuff like a mother hen. But for Sil and Aquila, they are constantly opening up their most valuable possession to the kingdom and allowing God to use it. Right? This is what we in the in the church world or in the Bible it's the biblical concept of stewardship. It's this understanding that all that we have comes from God, and we view ourselves not as the owners but as the stewards of it. In this community we have just moved into, there are like the kids just like roll through the streets in this new community we're in, and they always ask, but they come over and play in our backyard like. Five, six nights a week. Now, my preference, if I'm honest, is when I'm left at home, when I'm left alone at home, I want to be left alone at home, right? I don't want people coming and bothering me and ringing my doorbell. All right. So this has been a challenge, and we are trying to be intentional to open up our home and let it be a safe place for these kids whose homes aren't as safe and peace-filled as ours. And so this idea of stewardship it can include our homes, it can include hospitality, but it also expands beyond that to uh, include everything we have. It becomes our responsibility to manage uh, uh, what God has given us and leverage it for the kingdom. We leverage our talents, our abilities, our positions, our jobs, our resources. for the good of others and the glory of God, and so, how has God gifted you? What has He given you that you can leverage and use for the good of others and the glory of God? And the reality is, it'll likely cost you. It will likely be uncomfortable. You will be bothered in your home by little kids ringing the doorbell, right? But God uses those things for His glory to make Him known. Priscilla and Aquila they not only trust God with their lives, but they also trust Him and leverage all they have for the others, for all they have for others in the glory of God. Lastly. Priscilla and Aquila make Jesus the the center, the Lord over all of their lives. Oftentimes, we view ministry and and sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel, as something that is reserved only for those that do that as their occupation. But Priscilla and Aquila, they worked full-time jobs. They were tent makers. But still, they lived their lives for Jesus, and their impact was felt in their city and within the church. Paul writes in Romans 16, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. The reality is there are some that are called to full-time ministry, but most of us are called to work like Priscilla and Aquila in a secular setting. But that makes us no less important to the mission of God. God has given you your profession and put you in the position and job you're in for a purpose. and He's calling you to leverage your work and opportunities uh, for the glory of God. Your job, your profession is not an accident. Use your influence, connections, and relations for the glory of God to make him known here in Green River and beyond. So wherever you work, wherever you recreate, wherever you live, wherever you volunteer, follow the example of Priscilla and Aquila and leverage it for the glory of God. Right? We're not called to compartmentalize our lives, but God is to be Lord over it all. All right, so that's Priscilla and Aquila. They are amazing examples for us to follow of how to live our lives for God's glory. We're going to jump ahead now. We're going to look at the life of Paul. And when we come to the life of Paul in Corinth, uh, we pick up in in verse 4, and we see his his visit to the city follows um, a standard uh, uh, plan or practice. Verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath, he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, for I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul, he comes and he visits the Jews in Corinth, and he experiences the same results that he experienced in just about every city he went to. The Jews don't like the message of Jesus is the Messiah, and they become abusive and antagonistic toward him. And Paul's response seems strange. He says, Your blood be on your own heads. For I am innocent of it, and from now on I will go to the Gentiles. We find similar language from the prophet Ezekiel when the nation of Israel wouldn't heed his advice to repent. And what is happening here is, in the life of Paul is his recognition of something we talk about often, and that is that salvation alone belongs to God. We sing about it in the song, Yet Not I, I can't ever get that title right. But you get it, it's all about God. right? Paul's responsibility is to faithfully share, and he has done that. And then he trusts the results to God and he moves on to the Gentiles. This doesn't mean he is done with the Jews overall, but he has faithfully shared and he is moving on to the Gentiles in Corinth specifically. Paul cannot save and we cannot save. Our job is to share. And there are times that we fall into this temptation of believing that others' salvation is dependent on us. But the Bible says that's not the reality. We are called to faithfully share where God has placed us. And he will save. So are we faithful sharers of the gospel? That's exactly what Paul does. I love verse 7. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. He says, if you guys don't want to listen to me, then I'm just going to go next door, and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Commentators say the Greek use here indicates that not only was Titius a next-door neighbor, but his house literally shared a common wall with the synagogue. I love that you can't stop Paul from sharing the good news. And that's what we see here. That's our next point. Paul trusts salvation to the Lord, and he faithfully shares Jesus. When the Jews in the synagogue respond with hostility and venom, Paul simply goes next door. Here he meets Titius Justice, who like Lydia and so many others we have met, was a God-fearer, but maybe not yet a Jesus follower. Paul faithfully shares with him, and then verse 9, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes to faith in Jesus. He hears of Jesus. He hears of his love and his sacrifice in his place. And he turns and follows after Jesus. And again, the fact that the ruler of the synagogue comes to faith is evidence that Paul didn't give up on the Jews. But he trusted their salvation to God. And that's so amazing. We, this church in Corinth, one of the first converts in Corinth, is the leader of the synagogue. It was started with refugees from Rome. And so the first followers, the, same, uh, the, the leader of the synagogue, the same synagogue who had just moments earlier treated Paul with abuse. But he is faithful to share. So just a reminder, if someone rebukes you when you share the gospel. Shake off the hurt. Trust their salvation to the Lord. And then metaphorically, go next door and share. That's a pattern we see in the life of Paul. And so things seem to be going great for Paul and Corinth at this point, right? He's got friends in Priscilla and Aquila. He's got co-workers in Priscilla and Aquila. He is an ally in Titius Justice. The ruler of the synagogue has just come to faith. And we look at this and we say, man, God is clearly at work in Corinth. He is doing an incredible thing. and When we read that, we would think that Paul is riding one of those ministry highs in this moment. But the Bible tells us he's not. Instead, he is filled with fear. He is filled with weakness and discouragement. And he is ready to get out of Corinth as fast as he can before the Lord stops him and shares. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says this. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I am resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. He says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Again, we think of Paul as this superhero, like we think of a Superman with a cape. But Paul was a regular man sold out for the gospel. And so when we read of him being criticized, when we read of him being beaten and mocked and ridiculed, of being thrown in prison and all alone in these cities, traveling the known world, we ought not assume it didn't bother him. But instead, we see it hurt him. Paul faced the same struggles we face, and they weighed on him. Some of the things that were likely weighing on him at this point were he was surrounded by sin in this, this depraved city. He was surrounded by opposition, by spiritual oppression. And he looks at the city, he has to think, is this worth it? Are these people worth it? Could a church really make it here? On top of that, the familiar pattern is playing out with the Jews. They have rejected his mission, his, his message. right? And the next step is he is typically going to be beaten and thrown in prison or thrown out of town. In addition to the normal pattern, Crispus, the, the leader of the synagogue, has become a Christian. And so the oppression is going to be magnified. We also know that on his second missionary journey, he's nearing the end of it. I would guess he is just physically, emotionally, and spiritually tired. He's just ready to wave the white flag and go home. And so although it looks like God is moving and the ministry is about to explode, Paul is feeling tired, discouraged, fearful. He's ready to move on. But What we're going to read is that Paul, this is, God is not done with Paul in Corinth. And I don't know about you, but I think we've all had those times in our life when we are fearful, when we are worn out, when we are burned out, and we are just ready to throw in the towel. I know I've had those times, and often to the outsider, those times often happen when it looks like life is great, when it looks like life is moving to the outsider. But those times, I was spent, I was tired, I was ready to give up. And let's read what, Paul, what God speaks over Paul's life in verse 9. He says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in the city. And so the Lord's command to Paul is, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking the gospel and do not be silent. Paul is fearful. He needs some encouragement. He needs some instruction uh, to pick him off of the mat. I think of kind of like that corner man in boxing. Paul has been beaten. He is bloodied. He is worn down. He doesn't want to get off the mat. He needs someone to encourage him and pick him up. Someone to remind him of what to do and what his responsibilities are. 1 John four eighteen reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And God reminds him of his love. Kent Hughes writes, The simple words and the vision filled Paul's heart with God's love, and fear was put to flight. Time and time again, the scriptures tell us, Fear not, to stop worrying about tomorrow, to stop borrowing trouble, because we are divinely loved, and God's love is enough. It is enough. Paul was in desperate need of that kind of encouragement in Corinth. Message continues in verse 10. He says, God says, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul needs to be reminded of what to do. But more importantly, he needs to be reminded of the promises of God. And he has given three incredible promises here. And these are our last three points. First of all, he has promised that in the midst of fear and discouragement and burnout, that the Lord is with him. He's promised that the Lord is with him. He's not doing it all alone, but he's empowered for the work and for life by the Holy Spirit. What a comforting promise for Paul and for all of us who are Christians. We are sent, we are called to share, we are called to speak, and in the midst of that, the promise is the Lord is with us. Not only that, but when we are fearful, when we are tired, when we are weak, when we feel like we can't go on anymore, we are promised that the Holy Spirit is with us. What an incredible promise, a promise that gives Paul and us strength in the midst of fear and weakness. We don't go through this life alone, but the Lord is with us if we are his. The second Paul receive, Paul, promise Paul receives is a specific promise for Paul, and it only applies to his time in the city of Corinth, but he has promised that, that no one is going to attack him, no one is going to harm him while he is in Corinth. Again, this is a specific promise for Paul in Corinth. He will be attacked in other cities in the future, but God protects him while he's in his time there. We see this play out in verses 14 through 17 if you read on. In those verses, the Jews complain about Paul to the judge, and they want to have him arrested, but Galio, the judge, says to these Jews, he says, this all just sounds like semantics to me. This is an issue you people need to figure out, and he lets Paul go free. But this is a very practical reminder that God keeps his promises, that God protects and he provides. And while we are not promised uh, protection like Paul was in Corinth. We are promised that God works all things for his glory and the good of those that love him. We are promised that God is sovereign over whatever we are walking through. We are promised that that he has plans for us, and the plans are good. The third promise that Paul receives is perhaps my favorite of the three promises, and that is that the Lord says to Paul that I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord promises there are many in this city, in this city of Corinth, which is depraved and, and is falling apart and living in sin. There are many in this city that I desire to save, and I'm going to use you to save on Paul. The promise is there are still many in the city of Corinth that will come to faith, and Paul is God's chosen instrument to reach them. This takes us back to our our second point overall, but God is the God of salvation. We are just called to share. What an encouraging and confidence-building promise for Paul. Paul, if you stick this out and you share the gospel like I've called you to share, many in this city will come to faith. Right, we cling to the same promise that if we are faithful to share, then God is faithful to save many in our community, in our family, in our world. Right Globally, God promises that one day there will be followers of Jesus from every nation, tongue, and tribe in the world. We speak and we share boldly because we know God has people that just need to hear the good news, the hope of Jesus, and they will be saved. And so after hearing from the Lord and hearing his promises, Paul stays in Corinth for another year and a half. That's the longest Paul stays anywhere on his missionary journeys. And in that, I I think for you, for some of you uh, today, you are are like Paul and you are tired of your work. Maybe you're tired of your house. You're tired of your neighborhood. You're tired of your city. You're tired of your volunteer job. You're tired of your friends. You are like Paul. You are ready to move on and give up on them. But for whatever reason, God hasn't allowed you to move on. You haven't found another job. Your house hasn't sold. The door has been closed. Now, I'm not God, but perhaps like Paul, the reason you have not been allowed to move on is because God has not done with you where you are. Perhaps the reason he has not allowed you to move on is because there are still people in that place of business or in that neighborhood that he longs to see to come to faith, and you are the vessel he has chosen to share. The promises of God empowered Paul to share and empowered him to to stay and serve. So where should we turn when we are fearful? Where do we turn when we are weakened? Where do we turn when we are tired and burned out and ready to move on like Paul was? First of all, we, like Paul, should turn to the promises of God. Now, I can't guarantee you're going to get a vision, but we all have the promises of God available to us in his word. We should immerse ourselves in the Bible when we are fearful, when we are discouraged, when we are beaten down. You see, the reality is that's not our typical response, not my typical response. So where should we turn when we are tired, overwhelmed, and trouble. We should turn to God's promises the Bible and to the church Charles Spurgeon the great English preacher who struggled with depression in his life said he was often so discouraged and broken that it would bring tears to his eyes to even open the Bible when we are discouraged and fearful the temptation is to pull away from God to pull away from the Bible when what we need to do is to turn to the promises of God to meditate on them and let those promises become the narrative of our lives The other thing we we need to do is draw close to the church and to Bible-believing friends that won't point us to blogs or to our feelings or tell us what we want to hear, but people that will point us to the Scripture and the promises of God. I would imagine that Aquila and Priscilla were instrumental in Paul's life during this time of discouragement and fear. I would imagine it's part of why he speaks so highly of them and has such deep love for them. I know in my life there have been people in my life that have picked me up and had my back in those darkest moments. And those are people that I love and that I would do anything for. In moments of trial and discouragement, don't withdraw from the things of God, but draw close to them. When you are discouraged or facing trial, do you you look for yes men and yes women that will just always tell you what you want to hear? That will wallow with you in self-pity? That will ride with your emotions? Or do you look for people that will speak truth in your life? That will speak God and the scriptures in your life? Be wise in who you hang out with. Be wise in those, especially in those times of fear and disappointment. Again, the issue is when we are feeling fearful and worn out, our temptation is not to draw close to God, but to withdraw. Dr. Archibald Hart, who is a well-respected psychologist and worked with folks on the family, he writes that our temptation when stressed and burned out is to find isolation. When what we need is transparent friendship in the things of God. So during times of discouragement, uncertainty, fear, weakness, don't absolve yourself from the church and the promises of God, but instead immerse yourself in them. What we see brought Paul out of the darkness of fear and empowered him to continue serving the Lord were the promises of God. Meditate on them and surround yourself with people that won't tell you what you want to hear, but will instead point you to the truth of the scripture. And so as we walk through this world that is walking contrary to the Bible and the ways of God, don't be discouraged don't lose heart, don't give up, don't live in fear. We see here in Corinth that God is greater than our world. We see that He desires to use you. We see this promise that there are many in this community. There are many in this culture that He desires to save, and He will save when we faithfully proclaim. When we are overwhelmed, when we are uncertain, when we are fearful, it happens to us all, it happened to Paul, it will happen to us. In those moments, don't run, don't hide, don't isolate. But we see from Paul, turn to God and his promises. Turn to his promises of good, his promises to use all things for his glory, his promises to save, his promises of a future, and his promise to be with you through it all. God is greater than the city of Corinth, and he is still today sovereign over the culture and over your life. Find your anchor, your purpose, your direction in him alone. So as we wrap up, as Emily's going to come and she's going to play, we're just going to take a few moments to reflect. But first of all, where are you in this story? First of all, here, maybe you are someone that needs to trust Jesus for the first time. Do you know Jesus is your Savior and Lord? Have you turned and received His forgiveness? Have you received His forgiveness and new life in Him? So that's you. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you trust your life to God like Priscilla and Aquila did? Have you made Him Lord of your Sunday mornings at at 10 o'clock, or have you made Him Lord of your life? Have you made him the Lord of your work, of your resources, of your heart? What is it you're holding back from God when you make him Lord? Will you be a steward of what he has given you? Maybe next, maybe God is calling you to be faithful to share the hope you have where you are, where he has placed you. Maybe that's work, maybe that's your neighborhood, maybe that's your team. I don't know. Where he has placed you, are you faithful to share? Then lastly, maybe you're Paul and you're walking through fear and disappointment and weakness and burnout right now that's you would you turn to god and his promises would you trust jesus and look to him would you rest in his promises would you cling to the things of god would you look to people that are followers of god for your instruction and to point you to truth so if you're in those moments would you turn to god right now so i'm gonna pray for us after i pray emily's gonna play and i'll just take a few moments to reflect god we thank you for who you are God, we thank you that you are a God that is sovereign over our city, that you are sovereign over Green River. God, we thank you that you are a God that desires to use us to save others and to share your hope. God, we thank you for the promise that there are many in our city, in our community, God, that you desire to save and that you will save. God, I pray we'd be encouraged by that to go and share. God, we thank you that that you are a God that, that uses us as ordinary vessels to share your hope. And God, I pray that if there are areas of our lives that we are holding on to, that we are clinging to, that we are being owners of instead of stewards of, God, I pray that you would reveal that to us. God, and that we would trust you with, with whatever it is you have given us. That we would make you Lord, not just of Sunday mornings, God, that we make you Lord of all aspects of our lives. And God, if we're not doing that, I pray in this next few moments, Lord, that you would make that clear to us. God, and we would trust it to you. And God, and then lastly, I, I pray for those today that are walking through heartache, that are walking through disappointment, that are walking through hurt and pain, that are ready to give up. God, I pray they would be encouraged by your promises. That they would be encouraged by your promise to use whatever they are walking through for good and for your glory. That they would be encouraged by your promise that you are near to them, that you love them, that you care for them. That they would be encouraged by your promise that that you are not done with them, Lord, and you have plans for their life to use them. God, they'd be encouraged by your promise that you are that you have them where they are for a reason. God, they'd be encouraged by their promise, Lord, that you desire to save many around them. So God, I pray if there are people here that are in that place right now, Lord, that they would turn to you and they'd be encouraged in these next few moments, that they would be given new strength in you, Lord, as they turn and follow after you. God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you love us. God, I pray that you would, just speak your promises over us in these next few moments. that we love you and praise you. In your name we pray, amen.